Father, I want to thank you that Jesus is so trustworthy, faithful and true, righteous and holy and steadfast. Lord, thank you for Jesus. And Father, I do pray that our hearts would be filled with faith, that we would trust Christ. Lord, if there's anyone in this place who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray this would be the day, God. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, draw our hearts wherever we are in our spiritual journey to trust in Jesus more than we did when we entered this room. Lord, I pray not only for ourselves, but the other churches in this community who are teaching and studying the Bible. Lord, I thank you specifically for Faith Presbyterian just around the corner on Tropical Trail. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Bobby Adams and his faithful devotion to the scripture as the word of God. Thank you that he, uh, by your grace for years and years, has faithfully taught the scriptures with expository teaching, verse by verse, going through books of the Bible. Just thank you for my friend, Bobby. I pray you'd fill him with the power of your spirit today and may he be encouraged and may the people of Faith Presbyterian leave encouraged as they focus their hearts and eyes on Jesus today. Lord, we love you. We look forward to seeing what you will teach us from your word today. May our hearts be responsive to your voice and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. This morning, we are going to finish our verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel. And I've got to tell you, I'm a little melancholy today. Um, I'm very thankful that we have studied this book, that God has been gracious in our study. I'm, I'm thankful for what I've learned and what we have seen together. And I'm a little sad to see it go. Our next study, I'm sure some of you are wondering, we're going to begin in a couple of weeks, we'll begin a new study, a verse-by-verse study on the gospel of Mark. And I'm really excited about that study as well. But as I've been reflecting over our study of Daniel, for the last few weeks, there's been something that I wanted to say to you, and I think that this is the time to say it. Um, I want to say thank you. Church, thank you. Thank you for being a church that believes that the Bible is the actual Word of God. Thank you. Uh, And sure. Go ahead and clap for that. That's great. I want to say thank you for showing up every week to study the Bible, to study difficult texts, to study hard truths. Emily can tell you I have a reoccurring dream I've had for the last 13 years as your pastor. On Saturday nights, I dream that I show up on Sunday morning and I'm the only one here. It's like you've all gotten tired of me and just conspired, this is the week we're done. And I show up and the room is empty and I praise God that even though I've had that reoccurring dream, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you haven't done it to me yet. So thank you for showing up and studying the scriptures. You know, the Bible says that in the last days, people will not endure sound teaching. They will gather to hear teachers who scratch their itch, who tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. In church, you just need to hear me say, I don't believe that's true about you. 
you, you need to know that your pastors are thankful that God has given you an appetite to hear the word of God taught unvarnished and unapologetically as the word of God. And can we just, and praise Jesus for that. But as, as the days grow dark and they're growing dark and as the world continues, it's free fall into depravity as people turn away from sound teaching. I just want to ask, can we renew our commitment today that by God's grace, we will always be a church that stands firm without apology on the unchanging truth of God's holy word, the Bible? Will we be those people? Good. Because I got a doozy for you today. <laughs> Let's look at Daniel chapter 12. You just said you were ready for it. So here we go. Daniel chapter 12. I just want to remind you these last three chapters of the book of Daniel detail one long, pretty complex vision that Jesus gave to Daniel nearly 2,600 years ago. And while many of the prophecies have already been fulfilled, we've looked in detail at many of them. Last week, what we saw is that the final section of this vision records events that have not taken place yet. They're, they're not having occurred in the past, they're going to occur in our future. In the years right before Jesus comes again, a world leader that we know as the Antichrist is going to emerge. Last week we saw that he will be filled with satanic power and he will establish a one world government on this earth. And even more, he will use his, his power and authority to oppose Jesus and to persecute Christ's people. That period of time is known as the Great Tribulation. That's where we left off last week. We talked at length about that, and that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Daniel chapter 12. Let's just kind of work through this last chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says this. At that time, at the time of the end, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Stop right there. A couple weeks ago, we learned that Michael is the angel who's been designated by God to the people of Israel. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, detailing end times events, shows us that there will be a battle between Michael and Satan and their armies of heavenly realms at that end of time. And that conflict between Michael and Satan and the armies of darkness, the armies of heaven, will actually bring about what verse 1 describes as a time of trouble like this world has never known. Again, that's the great tribulation. And I want you to notice in verse 1 that two times the focus here is on Daniel's people. He says, your people. Now, who were Daniel's people? It's on the screen. Just cheat. It's the Jews, right? The Antichrist will seek to annihilate the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, you can write this down or my notes will be available at our website on Tuesday sometime. Zechariah 13.8 says that two-thirds of the people of Israel will actually be killed during this period of time. So only one-third will remain. It's going to be an, a holocaust 
the kind of which this world has never seen before. But in the midst of all of that bloodshed, in the midst of all of that persecution, what the Bible tells us is there will be a remnant of Jewish people who will turn to Christ as Messiah. Jesus will be their Lord before the end of time. But what I really want you to notice here in verse 1 is what it tells us about those people. It says, everyone whose name is written in the book will be delivered. Now, the book that's being referred to here is the book of life. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about the final judgment that's going to take place at the end of the world. And verse 15 of Revelation 20 says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about this near the end of our time together. But this book, the book of life, records the names of those who are going to be admitted entrance into God's eternal heavenly kingdom. And since the Bible's very clear that the only way to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven is through faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, this book then is telling us it has the names of all who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus and have been given eternal life as a result. So the book of life is the book of entrance into God's eternal kingdom. If your name is not found written there, and that's a name that's there as you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If your name's not there, you are forever cast into a place called hell. But if your name is in that book, you are forever given entrance into God's eternal kingdom. And what did we just read, though, about Daniel 12, 1, that that tells us what's going to happen to those people whose names are written in the book of life? It says they will be delivered. Now, here's the story we need to think for just a moment because hopefully we think for more than just a moment, but we have been seeing really all the way back from Daniel chapter 7 that the Antichrist is going to make war against God's people. Jews as well as Gentiles. And we've also seen that in that war, there will be times where he prevails or where he puts to death many. Anyone who trusts in Christ will be a target to the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 7, you write this down, I'll look at it later, tells us that a great multitude that no one can number will be martyred during the great tribulation. So so here's the question we should ask. How can verse 1 say... Everyone whose name is written in the book of life will be delivered. And at the same time, prophetic vision telling us a multitude no one can number will be put to death by the Antichrist. How can those things be true? Well, let's keep reading. Verses 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, (laughs) I love this, shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Here's how this gets reconciled. At the end of the age, Jesus is coming back. And man, we are getting excited as a church about the return of Jesus. And I'm glad we are. And when Jesus returns, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus will be raised to everlasting life, says they will shine like the stars in the heavens forever. Those who do not trust in Jesus will be raised but consigned to everlasting shame 
in hell. Now, connect this with what we were talking about in verse 1. God promises to deliver every one of Daniel's people who will place their faith in Jesus. But here we're seeing that doesn't mean they won't die. It doesn't mean they won't suffer. It simply means those things, suffering, pain, persecution, tribulation, even death, won't be the end of their story because Jesus will ultimately deliver all of his people. He will raise them up to glory. As the Lord brings this vision to a close and he gives us a glimpse of the end of the world and we see all of these horrific, terrible events that take place, I hope you notice he intentionally makes it so that we don't end in despair. Yes, This world will get worse before it gets better. Yes, the Antichrist will come. Yes, the people of God will be persecuted, some even to the point of death. But that's not the end of the story, folks. The final note of this vision is deliverance, not despair. Jesus will deliver All of his people. And this truth is so central to this chapter. Jesus is going to emphasize it again at the very end. So I'm going to come back to that before we're done. But let's keep reading so we can get through this chapter and actually finish this book. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 says this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Okay, so Daniel is told to preserve and seal the contents of this book until the time of the end. And when it says many will run to and fro, I don't take that to mean that near the end of time, people are going to be able to freely trap a planet. I know some people have thought that. Well, that phrase to and fro is used in the Bible to describe someone who's intensely searching for something. They're looking here and there, to and fro, intensely looking for something. It seems what's being said is that there's an intensification in the search for understanding that will happen more and more near the end of the age. As the end draws near, it seems to be saying people will try to figure out what's happening and what's going to happen. And they'll diligently study prophecy, just like we've done these last few months. And here's what God says, and knowledge will increase. God will grant understanding. Here's an interesting thing for us to know. There are things that are clearer for us today than they were for Daniel, because we live at a time nearer the end. And we're able to see All of the prophecies of Scripture through the light of truth that the Bible provides now that the Word of God has been completely given to His people. But moving on, we find that God will give knowledge, He'll give understanding near the end of time. Verse 5 goes on to say, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above, I lost my place. There was a man clothed in linen somewhere who was above the waters of the stream. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. 
And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Okay, so stop right here. To this point, we find in, verse, in chapter 11 that Daniel was seeing a vision about things that were in the future for him. And that carried all the way into the beginning verses, verse 4 of chapter 12. But the scene sort of shifts. And we're back on the banks of the Tigris River where this vision started in chapter 10. And once again, just like we saw in chapter 10, Daniel looks out. He's no longer just seeing a vision of the future. He's seeing of the one who's bringing the vision to him. It's Jesus. He's hovering above the waters of that stream, and there are multiple angels, one on this side, one on the other side of the river, and and one of those angels calls out to Jesus. I love it. It's like the angels don't know either, and they can't just stand around anymore, so they start asking questions, and this angel says, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Jesus responds. I love how he responds. He raises his hands to heaven. So imagine Jesus above this water. He's sealing, he's bringing to close this vision and he raises his hands to heaven. It's, it's, the, it's the thing you would do in a sense to testify to the truth of something. To, to say as though you're giving a solemn oath and promising what will happen. He says, I promise, I, I tell you, I testify that these things will occur at a time, times, and half a time. Now, that's a reference to the three and a half years that we've seen multiple times in the study of Daniel and Revelation. He isn't saying that the end of times will be fulfilled within three and a half years of Daniel's vision. What he's saying is that the clock starts specifically there when the power, notice this, when the power of the holy people is shattered. Now, I take that to be all the way back to the persecution that will break out against the Jewish people discussed in verse one. In other words, he's saying, I I, I promise, I solemnly oath on my own name and the, the name of my father in heaven that this great tribulation will not last forever. It will come to an end. As a matter of fact, in three and a half years from the start of that clock when the holy people's power is shattered and the Antichrist emerges into great authority, it will come to an end. And then in verse 8, Daniel says he didn't understand. I love it. I love it. Nothing could be more fitting for this study of Daniel to come to the end and have the best interpreter of mysteries, maybe to ever live, say, I still don't get it. Like, I don't understand. It makes me feel so much better as a teacher, right? I don't get it. He then asks one more question to try and figure it out. He says, what will be the outcome of these things? And I take that question to be something like, well, what's going to happen after all this stuff happens? Like, you keep talking about the end, but then you're talking about more things happening. And again, it seems like Daniel is, is not understanding. He's just grasping to get whatever understanding he can. Makes me feel better again. And look at the Lord's response when he says, what's going to happen? How will this be? Verse 9, Jesus responds and says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. 
Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. He says 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Okay, we're almost done with Daniel. One more difficult section to interpret. Jesus says this, the words of this prophecy are sealed to the time of the end. Now, we already just saw that a few moments ago. Now, I think he's doing here is he's responding to Daniel's confession that he doesn't understand. He says, I don't understand. It's like Jesus is saying, Daniel, don't be surprised that you don't understand. I literally just told you that you won't be able to understand everything until the time of the end because this prophecy, like I just said, is sealed up until then. And then, just for good measure, guys, Jesus gives Daniel one more bit of prophecy that Daniel won't understand. It's like he's having fun with Daniel at this point. Here's some more stuff you won't get. He mentions the regular burnt offering being taken away and the abomination that makes desolate. Now, we've actually talked about those a couple of times. I'm not going to plow that ground again. But the Antichrist is going to enter the holy place of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that means, or at least implies, is that before the time of the end, or at least the very end, before the tribulation begins, or maybe in the early days of those years, the temple in Jerusalem will have to be rebuilt. And the Antichrist, it says, will enter the holy place of the temple in Jerusalem and will set himself up as God. That's the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus refers to this, this the scene here as the turning point in the tribulation. Listen to Jesus' teaching from Matthew 24. He says this in verse 15 and 16. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. So he's saying this is a future event. This isn't one that happened during Antiochus Epiphanes or any other world leader from ancient history. This is something happening at the end of the age. It's the one Daniel prophesied, just like we're reading in our text. He says, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Why? Because the Antichrist is going to take out his fury on the people of Israel. Guys, Jesus says that event there marks the beginning of those three and a half years or the time, times and half a time or the 1260 days that's referred to elsewhere in the rest of the scriptures about the great tribulation. But here's what I want you to notice about Daniel's reference or about the word of Jesus about that specific time after the abomination of desolation. He, he does something here that nobody else in scripture does. He refers to the three and a half years as 1290 days and then adds to those, blessed are those who wait and arrive at the 1335 days. So what's he talking about here? Bueller? Anybody? What's he talking? Well, listen, I got to tell you this. I started studying for this Daniel series over a year ago, all right? And I have compiled 
I don't know how many resources, everything from books and commentaries. I had a friend who gave me his notes from teaching this in Sunday school years ago. I've had dozens and dozens of commentaries and works of scholarship that I consult every single week. Last year, you might not know this, last year I took an online course from a noted Bible scholar and seminary professor. I, I can't say I've been to seminary, but I've tried. And, and, and you know what I'm, I've, re, I've found in all my research, research and diligently deep diving, what I've found to be revealed about the specific meaning of 1290 and 1335 days? You want to know? You want to know what I found? Yeah, I mean, you showed up. I might as well tell you. Nobody knows. Like I'm saying, nobody knows. No one knows for certain. Everybody has this guess about what this means. And I've got to tell you, rather than give you my best guess, I'm going to do something a little cruel, but it's what Jesus did to Daniel, so I feel justified doing it to you. I'm just going to leave you in the place of Daniel, scratching your heads, having no idea what that means, 1290, 1335. And here's why I want you just to be like, why won't you say? Because that's how Daniel felt. But look what Jesus says to him, right on the heels of something that to this day, people don't know what it means. Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, here's the end of the book. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Guys, here's the last word of Jesus to Daniel. After giving him a glimpse into the future and in some ways leaving him with more questions than he has answers, he says, Daniel... Go your way. Go on about the rest of your life. It's okay that you don't know everything. It's okay that you don't have a great big chart with all the timelines figured out. It's okay that you don't know who the Antichrist will be or how all of the things that will happen will actually come to be none of those things, Daniel, is going to stop you from living the life I want you to live. So just go on your way. Now, now that's such a good word for us as we wrap up this study. I just want you to know it's okay if you don't understand everything. It's okay if you have unanswered questions. You can still go on about the life that Jesus wants you to live without arguing with the Presbyterians down the street. That's why we prayed for them. Listen, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here, okay? Jesus isn't telling Daniel, hey, just don't worry because it's not important. That's not what he's saying. He gave him this word because this word matters and he wants us to know. And as the time draws near, he wants us to know more clearly. That's not what he's saying. And he isn't saying, hey, Daniel, don't worry about the end since you won't be around to see it. I've heard a lot of pre-trib theology that basically makes it seem like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I won't be here to see it. That's not what he is saying. He actually tells Daniel, hey, go your way. Now, notice what he says there. Until the end. This is kind of wild. Daniel lived and died 2,600 years ago, and we still aren't to the end. And he said, go your way till the end. And even more, Jesus makes Daniel a promise. He tells him, hey, go your way to the end and you'll rest. 
I take that to be referring to the acknowledgement that Daniel's coming to the end of his life. He's almost 90 years old here, and he's going to die. And Jesus is telling him, hey, you're going to rest. Go your way. You're going to rest. You will die, and your body will rest in death. But then he also says, listen, but you need to know this. You're going to live for a little while, and you're going to die, and your body will rest in the ground. But you need to know this. The end of the days are coming, and when they do, you will stand in your allotted place. You'll be alive. You'll be well. You will be there to see it. And the question we should have is this. How will Daniel, who lived and died 2,600 years ago, be around to stand in the place that God has reserved for him at the end of days if he's resting? And death even right now. Well, we talked about it a few minutes ago. Here's how. When Jesus comes again, he will resurrect his people from the dead and they will live forever. We will live forever. We will stand in the place that God has reserved for us at the end of days. We'll see it with our own eyes and we will live forever with King Jesus. That's good news, guys. And that brings us our big idea for this morning. And this is how we'll end the book of Daniel. Here's our big idea for today. For those who are trusting in Jesus, the end is not the end. The end of this world won't be the end of us. The end of chaos won't be the end of us. The end of the kingdoms of this age won't be the end of us. The end of wicked rulers who oppose what's right and those who are righteous won't be the end of us. The end of Satan and the Antichrist won't be the end of us. The end of time will be the beginning of eternity. And you and I will stand shoulder to shoulder with Daniel and David and Moses and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and need I go on... With every saint from scriptures, we will stand shoulder to shoulder in the end. We will see these things with our own eyes, glorified, eternal, everlasting, resurrection eyes. We will see them and stand in our allotted place with Jesus and his people in his kingdom forever. And guys, that isn't just the way Daniel comes to a close. I hope you know that's the way the whole Bible comes to a close. Listen to the final scene of history recorded in Revelation chapter 21. John writes this and says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Friends, listen to God's word today. The day is coming, and Jesus will come again. And when he does, he will bring this world to an end. He will recreate the heavens and the earth. And he will make all things new, including you. He will wipe away every tear from every mournful eye. And there will be no more sickness. And there will be no more pain. And there will be no more crying. And there will be no more bad headlines or wicked rulers. And there will be no more struggle with your sin and temptation. And there will be no more death and departing of your loved ones. And we, you, will stand in that day in your allotted place with Jesus. Enjoying his new creation as his son and his daughter. That is your destiny. Your destiny is eternity. For those who are trusting in Christ, the end is not the end. And praise be to God for this unspeakable gift. And as we close not only this chapter, but this entire study of this great book, I want to give you just two quick practical ways That truth, I pray, will inform how you follow the command Jesus gave Daniel, which is go about your life. Go about the rest of your life in light of what you've seen, in light of what we've learned. Go about the rest of your life. Go on your way today from this place. Number one, as you go about the rest of your life, as you go on your way, number one, live like your destiny is eternity. Guys, I got to tell you, I had to do some major editing during this because this about became a 45-minute sermon in its own right, okay? Here's what I mean by that. Don't live like this life is all there is to life. Guys, this life is a vapor that's here for a moment and it will vanish away like a dream. Don't spend your one and only life pursuing the stuff of this world. Don't fall in love with your house or your career or your retirement or your hobby. It's fine to enjoy those things in a certain way, but don't make them the love of your life. Fall in love with Jesus and his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and live like your destiny is to spend eternity with him because it is. Let's turn our back on falling in love with a so-called Christian version of the American dream that would cause us to live our whole lives hoarding up the stuff of this world, living as slaves to our things, and live like Jesus and his kingdom are your eternal destiny and the one true passion of your heart. 
Live like you don't fear the future. Live like you believe the devil is defeated. Live like you believe that Jesus is king. Live like heaven is your home. Live like you're not afraid to die because death holds no threat for those who live forever. Live like the kings of this world aren't truly in control even though they are in chaos. Live like the wicked leaders of this world have a threat against all righteousness and godliness are going to be in your rear view mirror forever. Be fearless. Be confident. Be at peace because Jesus is coming again and is going to raise you up and you will stand with him forever in a kingdom that will never fade away. Live like your destiny is eternity. Let me ask you this. What would change about the way you live your life today if you really believed that this world was not your home and you're just a passing through? How would you spend your time and your money and your career and your retirement if your life's passion was Jesus and his eternal kingdom and you believed that you could lay up treasure forever there, how would you live? I'm just asking, would you lay your life down before King Jesus this morning and just say, Jesus, fill me with your power to live like I have eternity in mind every day of my life and my destiny, my future is your kingdom and not this world. Live like your destiny is eternity. Number two, live like you're on an eternal mission. I'll look back at verse three really quickly, and I hope you just It says, those who are wise, those who will shine like stars forever, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And look at this phrase. It goes on to... It goes on to kind of describe who those wise people are. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Guys, those who are wise live on a mission to turn others to righteousness. Simply put, that means we live on a mission to turn others, to introduce others to Jesus because Jesus is our only source of righteousness. Jesus came to live the perfect life we failed to live And he died a death we should have died as a payment for our sin. And he rose again from the dead so he could be the first fruits of a great resurrection to eternal life. Jesus is our only hope for righteousness as he gives his righteousness to us and lives his righteous life through us. So for us to turn many to righteousness is simply meaning that we would introduce others to Jesus and his gospel. He's our only hope for righteousness. Church, we need to think about this. Eternity is coming. Eternity is coming. And we have focused primarily on how that's a good thing. Because in our lives it is. But we cannot turn a blind eye to the reality that for those who do not know Jesus, eternity is coming and will bring everlasting punishment in hell. 
Guys, that is true about everyone we know. I want you to think about that for a moment. Everyone in your life will spend eternity somewhere. They will either spend eternity like you, if you're trusting in Jesus, in eternal pleasure and glory forever, or if they have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from God, enduring his wrath in a place called hell. Their eternal destiny, like yours, hinges on what they do in response to Jesus. And that's why Jesus says those who know this truth are wise when they live on a mission to turn others to Jesus. Guys, my prayer is that we would think about eternity and we would think more consistently about Jesus coming again. And I pray it would build in us a sense of deep and abiding hope and confidence and joy and excitement and urgency. Urgency to tell others about Jesus. In our foyer, we have a section set aside for something we call, who's your one? That question is just a question. Who's that one person in your life that you're praying will receive Jesus? That, that person that you're asking Jesus to give you an opportunity to lead to Christ through the gospel message. And every single one of those little emblems that is out there means the world to us as a church. Literally. Every, every heart that's on that, every one that's on that, every cross that's on that, it represents something. So the little emblems that, that have one, that's one person that someone in this church is praying for and asking God to give them, give them new hearts in the gospel and give us opportunities to tell them about Jesus. Every little cross emblem that's hung under one of those ones is a, is a representation of someone who got to tell another person about Jesus. And I love seeing those fill up. And every little red heart that's hanging out under there, that's someone who in the last year has come to, to know Jesus as Lord and has trusted in Christ and, and has found that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life through faith in Jesus. And my question is, is this, as we leave this place, do we just pass by that without a thought? Even more, do we pass by the people that represents without a thought? Church, our world is coming to an end. Jesus is coming again. And between now and then, he's calling you to go on your way, living as though your destiny is eternity and you have a mission that matters forever as you share Jesus with those who are in your life. So would you go on mission? Would you lay aside temporary pursuits that will not mean anything more than a vapor that was here for a moment and passes away and live on mission with Jesus till Jesus comes again? And last, I want to ask you this. Are you ready? Are you ready for the day that you will stand before God? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you ready to enter eternity? There is only one way for us to have eternal life, and it's not about what we've done. It's about trusting in what Jesus has done for us through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you that this would be the day you turn to Christ in faith and have an assurance 
that heaven is your home and your destiny is eternity with Christ. With that in mind, I wanna ask you to bow your heads and let's enter into a time of prayer. And for those of you who've never placed your faith in Jesus right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Just acknowledge your sin in prayer. Acknowledge Jesus, I have sinned and I can't make myself right with you. And by faith, would you acknowledge that Jesus came and that he lived the life you couldn't live, a perfect life. And that he died a death you should have died as a payment, as punishment for your sin. And acknowledge by faith that you believe that he was raised up from the dead so that he could raise you to a brand new life. Acknowledge that in prayer and just ask Jesus, would you save me? Would you save me by your grace and power in every way I need to be saved? Deliver me from the penalty and the power and one day the presence of sin. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior, my Lord. If you've prayed that prayer, if you've, if you've come to trust in Jesus today, don't leave this place without talking with one of our pastors, one of our prayer partners. We would love to help you, to walk with you on your journey of faith in Jesus. But for those of you who'd say, I, I am trusting in Jesus, let me ask you this. What would change about your life if you lived like this world is temporary and all the stuff in it is passing away and lived instead like your eternal destiny is a glorious kingdom that will last forever. Ask Jesus to help, to empower you with wisdom to live as someone who's living for an eternal kingdom. Who's that person in your life who's far from God but close to you? Right now, would you bring their name before the Father and ask that they would be saved? Pray for your one. Pray for those where you live, work, learn, or play, who you see each week. They're close to you, but they're far from God. Pray they would be saved and that God would give you an opportunity this week to tell them about Jesus. And that you'd have his power to walk through that door. Father, I want to thank you for what we've seen in your word today, what we've seen through this study of Daniel. God, I want to thank you that you've given us every reason to rejoice today, every reason to be glad, every reason to lay aside fear and anxiety about our present or our future. Lord, you've given us every reason because of the powerful promises of Jesus. Help us, God. Help us to go on our way, to walk from this place renewed in our commitment to live like Jesus is Lord, like heaven is our home, and like the gospel is our mission to our neighbors and the nations. Lord, do a work in us, I pray, a work till Jesus comes again. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.